discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm your host Huang Shan, stepping in for He Yang. Good to have you along. Just about everyone will face hardships or challenges at some point in their lives. For individuals with disabilities, there is a multitude of barriers when seeking employment. Several studies have suggested that as the working landscape is shifting to a more flexible, remote-friendly, and less traditional one. The labor market is giving a hand to this group usually left on the margins of the workforce. What does the future of employment look like for people with disabilities? To make our workplaces more equal and inclusive, what are some challenges that lie ahead? And once upon a time, PDA was universally considered crude and tacky, but now the very, very public displays of affection are back in vogue, thanks to several popular reality dating shows and high-profile celebrities couples. Are you firmly opposed to PDA, or have been drawn into the frenzy? What's the cold hard truth about PDA? For today's program, I'm joined by Li Yi in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's show, there are many barriers faced by people with disabilities when job hunting, but the pandemic may have had a silver lining for the physically challenged finding jobs. A study by the Economics Innovation Group think tank has found that the employment rate for people with disabilities rose far past the pre-pandemic level by mid 2022 in the U.S., reaching the highest rate in over a decade. In China, the booming digital economy, together with the government's active support, has offered new employment and entrepreneurial opportunities for the country's workers with disabilities. Before we dive into reasons why this is happening, so Li, can you give us a brief introduction? What are some new findings from this survey? Sure. So as you said, Huang Shen, the study was published by the Economic Innovation Group late last year, and according to the study, individuals with disabilities aged 25 to 44 or 3.5 percent more likely to be employed in the second quarter in the year 2022 than pre-pandemic in the United States, and I guess this figure is quite cheerful. Considering usually workers with disabilities would find it quite difficult to be employed. Specifically, the survey also found that the share of prime working age disabled individuals with a job is now the highest since at least the Great Recession. So basically, that's the finding of the study. And according to relevant analysis, some experts suggest that the reasons why we're seeing an increasing trend. Of employment of those people with disabilities. First of all, is of course the national labor shortages,、uh, which brings more opportunities for people to get employed on a general basis. And meantime, the most important thing is that during the pandemic, we are seeing more people are really working from home, and so the bosses, also the employers in the market, they are being more open to the idea of letting their employees staying at home and to. Really work in a remote sense, so that also provides benefit to people with disabilities who would usually find going out is quite challenging. 
Yeah, I think it's very normal that employment rates for people with disabilities go up and down.、Um, we have to admit that the employment gap between disabled and non-disabled people has always been massive, and now we are trying our best to narrow that gap. So, Josh, what's your take on this?、Uh, how do you think the pandemic had an impact on the development of a more inclusive、uh, workplace for people with disabilities? I think that definitely the pandemic has showed us like a blueprint of how to create a working environment that is very inclusive, and that includes including people with disabilities. But I do think that it's a little bit too early to start talking about this in too grander terms, as if it's something that's going to be long term. I think it's just too soon to say that. So I do think we have to be very careful to start talking about. This is something that's permanent.、Um, I think that is yet to be seen,、um, but I do think that particularly the flexibility of work, which the pandemic has forced so many industries into,、uh, has shown us that it is possible to, for example, work from home,、um, and it is possible for workers to have more control over their schedules. And maybe the physical aspect of work, being in the office, moving. To the office, having to get transportation in and out of the office, which can be very difficult for persons with particular types of disabilities, maybe isn't necessary, and that companies and businesses can continue to be ex-、uh, inclusive. And also profitable. Absolutely. In recent years,、uh, we have seen a steady progress in the employment situation of disabled in China. According to China Disabled Persons Federation, as of June 30th, 2022, around 8.9 million people with disabilities, out of the 17.03 million of working age people with disabilities, are employed. Representing a 52.4% employment rate. What's more, as China Daily reports, governments at all levels they are promoting、uh, the employment of people with disabilities, aiming to provide a more accommodating social environment for them and further China's protection of human rights. So we are seeing、uh, steps in pushing forward. The initiative of giving more job opportunities or even entrepreneurial opportunities for people、uh, with disabilities. So the E, you know, to tackle the problem, what has the government done to narrow the gap, based on your research and observation, and what have we achieved so far? Yeah, I think when we compare situation in different countries, I guess it's quite worthy to note that in China. The development of、uh, measures for people with disabilities is more like a policy-driven one, because the central government would actually launch a series of policies and strategies to promote employment for people with disabilities. For example,、uh, official data show that during the 13th five-year plan period, more than 1.8. Million disabled people were newly employed in urban and rural areas, and for the group, actually, they could enjoy government subsidies and also to enjoy vocational training programs to help them promote various skills. Because usually, you know, when we talk about employment for disabled people. 
the very generalization stereotype would be, oh, they could be a massager or they could yeah. be like a professional massager, and that's what we have in mind. However, for people with disabilities, they actually they can do more than that. For example, I know that in eastern part of the Beijing city, which is in Tongzhou district,、mm. there is a restaurant and.、Uh, The staffs or the waiters and waitresses are actually all with hearing impairment,、mm. and、um, that's a very special initiative by the owner of the restaurant. And、um, I learned that the owner himself, his brother, was actually suffering from hearing loss. So that makes him a very professional person in terms of sign language because he tries his best to, you know, translate everything for his brother. However, his brother. Died due to heart attack several years ago, and、um, so the man just decided to do more for the group. So he just started to operate a restaurant, and he actually tried his best to hire as many people with hearing problem as possible, and to invite them to be staff in the restaurant and offer different services to the customers. And you know, the story impresses me in the way that. The owner of the restaurant actually he tries his best to help promote social integration of those people with disabilities.、Mm. He does not only like provide extra job opportunities for those people. He actually tries his best to promote the whole dining experience for customers. Like try to decorate the whole restaurant and also try to provide different training programs to the people, to the staff at his restaurant, so that they can really offer the best. A service to the customers, and that actually make his restaurant a very popular one in the local region. So that's a very vivid example of how individuals could do for those disabled people. And of course, when we talk about national level and also in different provinces or cities, I guess. Local governments in those regions have done a lot to promote such programs like that. Of course, I think this is a time that we need to. Break the stereotype. Sometimes we set so many barriers by ourselves, and it's time for us to、uh, remove such barriers. To echo your story, Lee, I think another example I can think of is the Bear Claw Cafe. I think、mm-hmm. that coffee shop was really popular back in 2020 when it was first established. Because that coffee shop was famous or gained the public attention thanks to the integration of employees with disabilities. At the very beginning, the first branch of that coffee shop was about the staff、uh, with hearing、mm-hmm. impairment. And I learned that in 2020,、uh, maybe in the second half, that cafe has opened a new branch, and that branch is run by people with disabilities, and especially they have the vision、mm. impairment. So I think this is a very great example of how you can provide opportunities for people、uh, with some challenges. And、uh, not only from the macro level, by that I mean the government level. Sometimes for the individuals, you know, no matter you are a startup, you are an entrepreneur, or just you are、uh, even a coffee machine maker. So everyone can do their parts to help people with disabilities. And Josh. We have talked about the situations in、uh, China and figures from the states. What's about the overall situation in the UK, and has the UK job market echoed such trends? Well, it's a little bit complicated because of the pandemic. But since 2013, which is actually the earliest comparable year, 
um, up to the start of the pandemic and then until now, the general trend in disability employment has been quite positive in the United Kingdom. There's been a strong growth in the number and rate of disabled people in employment and a narrowing of the gap between the rate of disabled and non-disabled people in employment. The pandemic initially reversed a lot of these trends, sadly, and I think this is something that has to be mentioned because it's something that I've found to be quite common as I've been doing research about this, and I'm sure people with disabilities will probably want that to be known as well, that the pandemic was probably particularly hard for them. Um, but during 2021 and the first half of 2022 last year in the UK, rates started to return back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, and this is all according to gov.uk. Um, the British government releases all of these statistics online. Um, and the actual rates are, uh, there were 4.9 million disabled people in employment in the UK. Uh, in July to September 2022. And this is an increase of 240,000 on the year and an overall increase of 2 million since 2013 in the same quarter. Now, remember that the United Kingdom is a country with a population much smaller than mm, China's. So these figures are pretty significant for us. Um, and there's another thing I'd quickly like to mention because you asked if these trends have been echoed. Aside from the statistics, something that is actually being done in the United Kingdom um, by the government and by businesses is that they have this thing called a disability confidence mm. symbol. Now, this is sort of planted digitally on websites and you can see this in stores, probably physically somewhere. But if you're disabled and you see this, it means that the employer is committed to employing disabled people. And it also means that you'll be guaranteed an interview if you meet the basic conditions for the job. Now, I personally think that this is quite powerful and a really good thing because we know that businesses like to get all of their gold stars and put them on the wall, right? They like to get their credentials. And so it pushes them to do this. And it also makes it easier for disabled people to know which workplaces are going to be more diverse, more inclusive, and also people who are not disabled to think about which kind of workplace do I want to work? Do I want to work somewhere inclusive? Things like this are happening in our country as well. Yeah, I think today the reason why we are talking about this issue is that we want to improve the situation. And to achieve that goal, usually we need to identify and understand what is the problem. Like earlier, I mentioned uh, the Bear Claw Cafe, and uh, there are some blind baristas in the shop. They mentioned that actually for them, it's very hard to do latte because like the milk foam is so light that it's very hard for them to judge whether the coffee is almost full by sound. Uh, what they can do is to try by feeling slowly because they have visual impairment. Um, as a result, the coffee machine has also undergone some specific modification with buttons of different shapes corresponding to different operations. If you push a square button, for example, you get an espresso, and then the triangular button serves a cup of Americano. This is just a very small example. Constantly in China, just like in other countries, those negative attitudes or some physical barriers with uh, a lack of awareness, these things, these factors are systematically in blocking people with disabilities from working. In your opinion, 
the Ian Josh. What do you think? What are some barriers to employment for people with disabilities? And conversely, why are they now more competitive? Well, I think there are actually many barriers in terms of what people with disabilities are faced with on a daily basis. But when we talk about seeking employment, I think one of the major challenges would be employers' attitude, because that's according to a survey conducted in the UK actually in 2019. Actually, more than 80% of job seekers with disabilities. Think that the main barrier to sourcing suitable employment is finding employers who are genuinely disability friendly, which means that for those people with disabilities, when they are seeking for a proper job, they would actually worry that. They are not really sure if their employer would actually take them seriously and would actually provide them enough、uh, respect or supportive policies, and、uh, also they would worry that if their employers、uh, would just.、Uh, Provide empathy or understanding of their situation, and somehow it might be a sad truth that in reality some employers are not really ready to open their door to people with disabilities because a lot of them actually admit that they would rather choose people without disabilities compared with disabled people when they are selecting a potential employee because they might worry that. Uh, that person with disability would be qualified or competent to do the job that they are requiring from the market, and that's the challenge from the attitude of employers. And also, there's some barriers in terms of communication at the、yeah. workplace. Because for a lot of people who suffered from different disabilities, somehow to have a normal and efficient communication with other people could be quite challenging, especially for those people who suffer from visual impairment or hearing impairment, and、uh, that could be a trouble somehow at the workplace because you have to consider for the other coworkers and also the supervisors whether you could have a. Transparent and also fluent communication. So these are some of the major barriers or challenges people with disabilities are really facing in the workplace. I agree with all of those. I the, all of those points that were just made. I, I also think, on a more general level, I think that the stigma that disabled people have to deal with on a daily basis. I can imagine that that is exhausting, and I think it's important to. Remember that most people don't really want sympathy; they、mm-hmm. just want to be respected, like every other person in the world. But respect can manifest itself in so many different ways, right? It can literally be the way you speak to somebody and showing them respect, right? And you can do that in infinite amount of ways, which we don't have time to talk about. But just respecting them on a human level, regardless of whether they might be considered "quote unquote" disabled or However, it may be, and also respect can manifest itself in granting physical access and things like this. And this is more complicated. This is more infrastructural. Literally, building, for example, enough wheelchair ramps in a city, lifts,、um, having things built into pavements and、um, accessibility places for people who are maybe visually impaired,、um, things like this that make your building literally. Uh, able to occupy these people and not make it dangerous for them to be in. This can also be, in my opinion, respecting somebody on an individual level.、Um, and of course, 
these things, some of these things take a long time and they can be very expensive, right? And that's the harsh reality of a lot of these things. Building all of these facilities can be hard, but at least acknowledging that they need to be built and starting this process is definitely the most important thing. Yeah, disabilities are very complicated. Maybe each disability requires a specific set of accommodating facilities, policies, as well as support. Um, I really hope in the near future, we can see more people with disabilities. They can find their place, find that fertile ground for development in the workforce. To some extent, I would say, coming back to the pandemic, it has opened up new horizons for industries like live streaming e-commerce. What's more, I think many people and many employers, they are opting for the work from home mode. So this could bring in more opportunities for people with disabilities. And let's say e-commerce live streaming for those who can shop in person, they can shop to their harsh content with just a phone and internet connection. Products will be delivered to your doorstep with a click of a button. So to some extent, I think China's digital economy has played a massive role in offering employment for disabled people. Um, so we are living in this digital era. What are some new opportunities there for physically challenged workers? I do think there are more sectors, more industries can give people with disabilities a time to shine, to thrive. Yeah, I actually, I agree with you on that because before we start a show, I actually have a glance of an official employment network by China Disabled Persons Federation, mm. and which is sort of promoted by the government. And on that platform, actually different positions from different companies are actually offered to people with disabilities. And there are like positions like salesperson and assistant of a CEO or data specialist or even customer service staff. So these are all various positions being offered to those people with disabilities. So I guess that somehow shows that um, the market is, is sort of opening its door to different groups and in a better way. As you said, I believe that with different new technologies and advancement of the internet industry, more opportunities would be provided to people with disabilities. For example, I know a lot of people are making their own podcasts at home because getting involved in the podcasting industry or other like audiobook or audio products is less challenging in terms of the working scenario compared with other like office works because you simply just need to stay at home and you just need a microphone or a earphone and you can do your work. These are all the new trends for um, people with disabilities. However, I think it's also worthy to note that there are still so many different challenges and barriers mm. for the group and they're still struggling in terms of uh, different sectors, not only employment, but also education and also to fully integrate it within society without any discrimination and uh, also how we are going to create a more inclusive and equal environment for those people to get into. So these are all the questions being left on national level, not only in China, but also in other countries. Yes, of course. And Josh, very briefly, what do you think are some of the sectors that have seen greater acceptance of disabled workers? Definitely one sector that's had an impact here is the digital economy. Um, the pandemic 
certainly opened up a lot of opportunities for things like live streaming and e-commerce, live streaming in e-commerce and a lot of different jobs that can be done from home or at least don't require a lot of physical movement. And it's also given people a lot more free time and a lot more flexibility with their schedules. So this is definitely one industry that uh, we've seen an improvement in. Yeah, for many people with disabilities, they want a job because they would like to live on their own and all their efforts were made to live as an ordinary person. So we hope the country as well as the society can provide more inclusive job environment for them. And in the near future, they are not only finding job opportunities, I also hope like they can gain personal fulfillment. It's Roundtable with myself, Huang Shan, Josh Cottrell, and Li Yi. Stick around, everybody. We'll be back after this break. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with me, Huang Shan, joined by Josh Cottrell and Li Yi. Coming up, PDA, or Public Displays of Affection, are making a strong comeback it feels as if we are witnessing very PDA at every turn thanks to the popularity of social media. Do you post every cute photo you take with your partner? And while it may make people go, wow, not everyone may be thrilled to see everything you eat, buy, or do with your partner. Why is the subject so divisive? What's more, nowadays young people, especially the new generation, are jumping on the bandwagon of investing. What are Gen Z's attitude towards investment? Will investing young make a big difference later on? You can share with us your thoughts by rating and reviewing the show at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast, and our email address is ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. That's where you can send us voice questions to take part in the weekly Heart to Heart segment. Now on Roundtable, when you are in a romantic relationship, do you like to tell the whole world about it, or do you prefer to keep things private? Some people are more comfortable with engaging in public displays of affection, or PDA, as they flaunt their relationship in both real life and online. Meanwhile, there are many who think showing love in public is seriously inappropriate. What's the hype about PDA? Tell us more, Li Yi, and why do people hold conflicting attitudes towards it? Sure. So I think to begin with, I think it's quite essential to explain what is PDA and what sort yeah. of behaviors can come into PDA. So basically, public display of affection is the act of showing love or fondness for a person in the public eye. So basically, if you discover two people on the street and somehow you can judge from their body language that they are a couple, they might be engaging in PDAs. So some mm. PDA examples might be like holding hands and looping arms, hugging, kissing, and also cuddling. So basically, it consists of different ways of physical contact between a couple. And somehow now with the trend of social media platforms, we can observe a lot of social media PDA, which means that uh, you can see some couples would just post their pictures uh, with their partners with lovey-dovey captions, <laughs> and especially on special occasions like Valentine's Day or the New Year. So you can just uh, see, you know, like dozens of photos in your moment uh, of your uh, social media account. So basically, people often state they're 
their relationship uh, status in their social media profile or use a photo with their partner as their profile photo. So these are all social media PDA. So basically, if we are talking about why people do PDA, I guess it's quite complicated because people are really doing it for different reasons. I think the most obvious or the most common reason is that people want to inform other people that they are already taken or they want to inform others that their partner is sort of taken, especially with social media being so trendy right now. <laughs> Somehow people say that, you know, social media offer you an access to a huge amount of people and mm. some of them might be potential alternative partner for you and also for your partner. So some people would, would think that posting uh, intimate photos uh, to sort of tell everybody that me and my partner are already taken. So, uh, so that's a very- together. Right, so that's a very <laughs> possessive uh, motive uh, in terms of um, doing public display of affection. Yeah, I think no matter how much you squirm at PDA, it's really hard to look away because from the photos, videos, or even text messages, the screenshots, I mean, couples they share on social media or even flaunting daily conversations. I don't know what we can learn from such a behavior and <laughs> what can we learn about their relationships. So Josh, which camp are you in? Do you like the PDA stuff or you're a person who just think it's more off the side of oversharing? I'm not sure, really. I think that context is very important and <laughs> it depends when and where you do this. I mean, is work considered a public place? Is the subway? I guess the subway definitely is, right? It, it really depends for me. I guess that as long as you're not making other people uncomfortable. But then again, how do you know if you're doing that or not? If you know that you're going to make other people uncomfortable by doing it, then absolutely not. I think that you shouldn't do it. But otherwise, I don't have a particular problem with this. But this topic is so broad to me. Yeah. You know, like you can talk about kissing. You can talk about hugging, which I think is fine. You could talk about holding hands. I mean, how do we gauge this? It's all so subjective, right? Yeah. What about we start with social media PDA, because when we are mm, talking sure. about PDA, there are two scenarios. One is mm. in real life. I mean, the PDA into your face, I mean, in front of you. And the other type is, I think, what is very prevalent nowadays, that is the social media PDA. I don't want to blame such, you know, stars or celebrities, couples. And uh, I do think they are too much. They're sharing too much because celebrity PDA is hardly a new phenomenon for sure. And social media culture and restrictions on social interactions imposed during the pandemic have certainly changed the way celebrities, how they are publicizing their relationships. So I think that this has an impact on everyday couples. Maybe such couples have been influenced or inspired by this trend. But to begin with, I think the moment you registered for your social media account, you cannot avoid the reality that you have to share something with regard to your relationships. Because if you open, well, Facebook or now the meta, whatever you want to call it, like there's a specific relationship status, you need to tell if you like, you can say, I'm dating this person and we are boyfriend and girlfriend or just about like we just got married. So all kinds of 
indications have been offered to you to clarify your relationship status. And sometimes some people think this is a great way to protect your relationship from outside threats because as Lee earlier mentioned, this person is taken. So you have no opportunity. And uh, it means like uh, this is something I would like to show to the world. What's more is about some people are using social media as their online album, as an archive in cloud so you can store whatever photos in there and sometimes when you are traveling around you may like to share something about your partner so usually you will like to post a positive and rosy side of your relationship romantic story so my question here is that is seeing is believing are we really looking at the real situation of a relationship and I mean, very simple. Are these couples genuinely happy? Well, I would say, you know, from my personal experience, I would say no, because <laughs> I had a very interesting story to share okay. here. You know, uh, one time uh, me and my husband, we went for a trip during a sort of a vacation. And, uh, you know, the whole trip was so fun and I enjoyed uh, the food and also the uh, tourist attractions during the whole trip. However, on the last day of the trip, when we are mm. about to leave the city, and uh, we two have sort of like a quarrel, and I was so angry. However, before our plane takes off, I still post like seven or eight pictures of the trips with me and my partner in the photos. Although deep down in my mind at that moment, what I was thinking is that, oh, I, I hate this guy. I was so angry. However, I actually published those uh, pictures of, you know, what beautiful smiles mm. on our faces. We look so happy. So that's a very very, you know, personal but vivid example of, you know, how you might think in a different way compared mm. to what you present on social media platforms. And also when we talk about you know, social media PDA, usually you will see people pop publish or post pictures of very happy and positive moments. Yeah. However, we know that in reality, all relationships would just uh, go through ups and downs and they might just quarrel and there are some dark dark moments in their in in their relations however i guess few people would just choose to publish that side of their story on social media platforms so that's why you know experts are suggesting that the real situation might not be as the same one as displayed because according to a 2014 study conducted by a team from from american and canadian universities the smiles in those cute couple selfies aren't really quite as genuine as we might like to think especially when you consider people are are actually showing love for different reasons, especially uh, some people are simply showing off on social media platforms or they want to make other people jealous. So under that situation, of course, the real situation might be totally different. And especially some people might just show off due to a lack of security because on a daily basis, when people feel more insecure about their partner's feelings, they tend to make their relationships more visible. That's suggested by the study by the researchers. So these are the some interesting observations from, from me, myself, and also the study by those experts. Yeah, it seems like this is going back to the bloody nature of social media. That's an incubation for people's anxiety, as well as 
vanity to some extent. And based on your personal anecdote, I feel like the real situation might not be as the same way as displayed. This is my takeaway. For so many people, when we are talking about social media, maybe that's where、uh, the fear of missing out came from, because everyone is sharing the. Glorious side and the glamorous side of their life, so it seems like no one is in a bad mood.、Mm. Well, Josh, now it's your turn. So, what do you think when people are oversharing PDA on social media? Do you think it's a sign of happiness or insecurity? Well, as we've heard, and I also have some research here to suggest that、yeah. whatever you think about it, actually, it, it's. Been shown that people who do post about their relationship online are more happy than <laughs> those who do not post online.、Um, there's actually some research by that was published in the Social Psychological and Personality of Science Journal,、um, and also in the Association for Psychological Science Annual Conference, San Francisco, in 2014 and 2013, respectively, that showed that those who post on Facebook and Instagram,、um, with both partners' profiles also indicating that they're in a relationship, are more satisfied than those who choose to not share this. And why is this the reason? Well, I, I guess that one of them is, as was said earlier, it sort of is a defense thing. Whether that's conscious or subconscious, it's to show people this is my relationship, so I'm not available, and that's a public statement. Whereas Let's face it. If you post nothing about your relationship online, and we know how social social media is—that's the purpose of it—and people know that, or people don't know that you're in a relationship and assume that you're single, are all of the interactions that you're going to have online going to be the same as they would be if you did post about your relationship? Absolutely not, right? Is that good for your relationship? Consequently, it depends what that means. Well, sorry, I have to disagree with Josh on、okay. that because you know I've also got similar study to to show that actually happier couples in general they tend to use social media as platform to publish or to post pictures about their personal life far less than those couples who are less happier.、Hmm. Um, Because that study suggests that those couples who are really happy in reality, they are too busy like living in the moment, or they are too busy living in reality instead of sharing something on social media or sharing something in virtual life. And also, they don't think that there's the need for them to really show their love on public platforms because they already feel enough love in their reality world. So, in fact, you know, according to a survey of more than two thousand British citizens who are Currently in a relationship, just ten percent of those who post images of themselves and their partner on social media describe the state of their couplehood as very happy. However, nearly half of respondents who do not publish such posts said that their their relationship was in fact a very happy one. So you can see there are different you know debates. In terms of why people are really sharing such content on social media, and whether those people who are sharing are happy or not, I think it's more like a chicken or egg question.、Mm. We don't we don't really have a unified answer. However, I think it's just their private business to de- to determine whether to share or not to share on public platforms. However, I can. Really understand, you know, why people have different opinions about social media PDA, especially for those 
audiences because I actually、uh, found a very interesting answer on Quora that、mm. people are sharing their resent towards social media PDA. You know, a person said that it's it's sort of like you are eating bread in front of a person who is hungry, and you are not really buying a bread for this person. So they think that for a person, you know, especially when he or she is single and lonely, if they saw you know such like PDA either in reality or in virtual life, they might feel jealous or they might feel、mm-hmm. sad or disappointed. So these are some reasons that people hate. PDA or social media PDA, but you know personally, I think it's really personal choices, and、uh, we don't really need to think about other people's judgment or whether we are happy enough to share those content. It's just your personal preference. And I, I think sometimes you know the bread could taste terrible, <laughs> you know, because all you see is the picture, and with the beauty filter and all kinds of photo retouch, you can sugarcoat how great the bread tastes like. Well, I think that first of all, that you misunderstood my argument completely. So I don't think you disagree with me at all.、Oh. I, I actually agree with you because what I was talking about wasn't people. See, it's very, it's very. There's a big difference between posting the word plurally posting, right, and which is also not really measurable because how much do people post, right? I think when、mm. we talk about couples posting plural, right, continuous, that it's excessive, right. And I agree with you on that one. And I think that if people do post excessively, also, what does excessively mean? That's different to every person. What I was talking about is making it publicly known, not posting all the time, but、mm. just making it publicly known that、okay. you're in a relationship, right? Which I think is quite different to constantly posting pictures of yourself with your partner. And I think that these two things are quite, quite different,、um, because actually the research that was just quoted, I agree with that completely. So I don't think they contradict each other. These two studies is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, because you know sometimes when there is a couple who like to share a lot on social media, to be honest, your initial reactions would be, "Wow, they look so cute! Oh, they're so sweet! And how sweet they are!" But gradually, after a few posts, it just gets annoying. To be honest, so let's talk from. An audience point of view, how much PDA is generally acceptable? Well, I think different people really have their own different take on PDA, and some people would think, "Oh, that's lovely," but others would think that's maybe disgusting, or even some people don't really care about it, and they think it's just a personal preference. I think it depends on your like background, especially、uh, if your family would just、uh, you know publicly talk a lot about love or、uh, showing love to each other. I think if you are brought up in such family, then you would be like more comfortable with you know the behavior of showing love either to.、Uh, Either for yourself or for other people, and also I think、uh, cultural background also plays a role here because I think in China we are more、uh, conservative or we are less willing to you know openly tell someone that oh I love you, especially to those people who、uh, who matter a lot to you. So maybe in such cultural background, then people could be less tolerant of you know PDA or either you know social media PDA or whatever. So. I think it just depends on personal preference and what they think about, you know, the act of showing love. Well, 
to share or not to share. That's a question. If your answer is to share, then I hope you can strike a balance between sharing couple updates on social media and not seeking validation from it or boring your followers. I'm pretty sure your genuine friends will definitely want to give you a thumb up. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, experts suggest that young Chinese, especially those born after the 1990s, are more willing to save and invest in light of their growing disposable income amid a rise of convenient fintech investment products. Why is investing the new trend for young people in the country? Stay with us. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, Huang Shan, Li Yi, and Josh Cotterell. Years ago, talk of investing brought to mind silver-haired people exchanging stock tips or shaking hands after closing a promising deal. Now, this demographic is getting younger. According to a recent survey, youngsters have a quite different view on investing compared with their parents' generation. The survey found that China's Gen Zers, as the newbies in the workplace, most of them don't have a lot of savings, but they are quite proactive in investment. How do young Chinese manage money? What are some highlights of the survey? Li, tell us more. Sure. So actually, the survey was conducted、uh, by DT Caijing, which is a data research media platform, and together with an investment company under the name Investment Attitudes of Chinese Youth. The survey actually interviewed three thousand correspondents, including young people and also experts in investment. So basically, for young people, they are、uh, most of them are aged、uh, between twenty-two or thirty-two, and、uh, most of them live in first-tier cities, but also other like second-tier cities and third-tier cities. So according to the survey, it seems that Generation Z or young people they have a very unique attitude towards.、Uh, Investment compared with other generations. First of all, it seems that young people they are really willing to invest their money into different financial management products, because according to the survey, over ninety percent of the correspondents believe that investment is very important in the future, and also they regard it as an essential skill in future life planning. Among them, more than sixty percent of the Gen Zers think investment is not only important in The future, but also very important at the present, and also they have really huge initiative to take actions in terms of making investment. When they have spare money or save enough money, they will consider investment. And nearly half of the respondents choose have spare money and feel lost if they don't invest, which is higher than the average level of all generations. And however, in terms of、uh, the real situation of investment, somehow young people. They don't really have a lot of money as their starting capital for investment. I think that's quite understandable because they just start to either make their own bread or start to enter the workplace. And however, they are still willing to participate in the whole process. And also, it seems that they are less willing to invest in those. Uh, financial management products of higher risk, meaning that they mainly invest to really preserve their 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 capital in the pocket. So these basically are the findings of the survey. I think they are quite interesting、uh, to、yeah. 
give us an opportunity to see what young people think about investment nowadays. I truly respect、uh, investing is an excellent way to. Build wealth and plan for your financial goals in the long term. Particularly if you start when you're young. So, Josh, why do you think Gen Zers they are investing early, and what are spurring young Chinese to save and invest more, or even young, not only young Chinese, like young people around the world? Yeah, I think that it is young people around the world, and of course, it's always been beneficial <laughs> for young people to invest.、Um, we can talk about time, of course. Investing when you're young, of course, it's beneficial to invest when you're younger because you have more time to invest, and of course, you need time. Money needs time to grow, and then you're able to actually enjoy it, right? Also, you have the ability to take on more risk. This is also nothing that's new with Gen Zers. This has just been young people forever. Younger people are able to、uh, invest more in high-risk, high-reward things.、Um, you can withstand the potential pitfalls of An investment. If everything goes wrong, you have less responsibilities. You're less likely to have family and things like this. I emphasize less likely. I'm sure many people do, right?、Um, but I think something that distinguishes Gen Z and young people specifically today is the technological revolution and the fact that Gen Zers are much, much more tech savvy. And let's face it: if you want to get into investing. These days, you have to also understand a lot of technology that is deeply ingrained into these practices. Things like understanding the stock market, understanding how to buy and sell on certain trading platforms, and also just keeping up to date with social media platforms and influencers who base their whole career around teaching people how to trade and how to invest. There's a pool. An infinite amount of knowledge, almost online, that teaches people not just through books, but in real time with videos about the best things to invest in, how to invest, how to invest in the long term and in the short term. A lot of this knowledge just wasn't as widely available before, and because I think technology has for a long time been quite ingrained in investment and trading. Now that everybody's got this technology in their hand, in the form of a smartphone, young people especially. It's allowed them to、uh, be more successful in this. So, do you guys have some tips to share with young investors to avoid potential risks? Well, I think,、uh, as Josh said, there are like. A huge amount of、uh, guidance or tutorials that you can find on the internet. People who are professional investment、uh, manager will just、uh, teach you how and when to invest your money. So try to get access to those professional guidance and also always to save a sum of money in your pocket because that could be your emergency fund, no matter how much you own in.、Uh, No matter how much you earn for your salary, and no matter how low your salary may seem, I think it's always wise to find some amount of money in your budget to save, as in an emergency fund every month,、uh, so that you can really take even ups and downs for investment, and you can always something to count on at the end. Yeah, please bear in mind, all investments carry some. Degrees of risks for sure.、Uh, don't bet on your luck. You may succeed one time, but the magic may go away 
for the second time. That brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much for your company. You can find us on Apple Podcast at Roundtable China. Thank you, Li Yi and Josh, for joining the show. See you next time. <laughs>